I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight every good path. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall focus on the word baptisms as found in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2 in the phrase, the doctrine of baptisms. But before we do that, let's have a quick recap of what we discussed in our last broadcast. We saw the synonyms of baptism and we said that baptism is not about Jewish washing or ablution or purification rites. Neither is it an act of washing away one's sins, nor is it an act of repentance. Rather, we said that baptism signifies our willingness to be led by the Lord Jesus Christ. It signifies our commitment to his lordship. It signifies our identification with the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, and thus our union with him in that experience. So that as he died, we also die. And when he was raised up to life, we also resurrected to a newness of life. We said it also signifies our total submission to Christ's leadership and authority. Now, one of the things that we need to understand here is that regardless of the significance of baptism in general, we are baptized, not because necessarily of the significance. The significance is there. We cannot do anything about it, but that's not the motivation for baptism. The motivation for our baptism, we said, are twofold. One, that baptism is an act of faith because we believe Therefore, we are baptized. And secondly, it is an act of obedience because the Lord commanded, therefore, we are baptized. We noted that when we are baptized in water specifically, because that's basically what we're looking at, we do it publicly and we make a declaration by that action. And this declaration is that one, we're saying that we are free from bondage to sin and Satan. Secondly, we are saying that we have left behind the world system and its ways of doing things. Thirdly, we are declaring that we are now under new management, that we are under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, we are saying that we are now a part of the kingdom of God, indeed members of the family of God, the household of God. So that's what we are saying when we get involved in baptism. What we have seen so far is basically with reference to water baptism, which we also know as Christian baptism. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, it says of the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms is in the plural. It's not singular. So there is more to baptisms than just water baptism or Christian baptism. And by the grace of God, we are going to be looking at these other baptisms that the scriptures discuss. Now, in the Bible... There is a mention of four baptisms that the New Testament saint must experience. John's baptism is not included in this For We have discussed John's baptism earlier, that it is not a New Testament doctrine. It's not a New Testament teaching. Indeed, John's baptism prepared people to come to the Lord. So there are four baptisms, like I said earlier, that Christians are expected to experience. The first one is baptism into the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews 
or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. This baptism is speaking about putting the believer into the body of Christ. A good illustration would be a woman goes to hospital to deliver a baby. After the baby is delivered, the woman takes the baby home. She nurtures the baby along with her husband. She matures the baby, brings the baby to maturation through imputing family values, training, discipline, and so on and so forth. To make this child, as this child is growing, to be a well-rounded and grounded member of society as well as the family. This child has a place in the family, has a position in the family, is a member of that family. And the family seeks to make that child a useful member of the family and one that will add value to society. This is an illustration of baptism into the body where a believer is born again and is put into the family of God. Now, the family of God is made up of the church universal and the local assembly. We're going to explain a lot of this when we begin to look at these baptisms in some detail. Let's assume that like we have many young ladies who get pregnant and give birth to children that they don't want, they don't want anybody to know, so they just abandon the child somewhere. If that child is not cared for in good time, the child dies. In the same way, if you are born again and nobody takes care of you, you are not put into a family, you're not put into a home, you are not cared for, you are not nurtured, that fellow dies. If on the other hand, the person actually survives, is taken home, but then in getting home, he is not trained. He's not disciplined. Family values are not inculcated in him. Or when they were being inculcated in him, he rebelled against it and chose to live his own life. He is going to grow up to become a menace to society. He's going to become a danger to society. He is going to become somebody who society would either be scared of or would not even want around it. Such people are locked up in prison in society because they refused training. In the same way, if you are born again and you are put in a family, you are put in the home, in the body of Christ, but you refuse the teachings, the doctrines, you refuse to receive the word of God, you refuse to grow in the things of God, you become a menace to the church. In fact, you become an aberration for a Christian and you can no longer stay in that body. The Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in Revelation chapter 3 concerning the Laodicean church, that they were neither hot nor cold. And because they were lukewarm, he was going to spew them out of his mouth. Now you can imagine spewing out of his mouth people who were neither hot nor cold. Not to now talk of somebody who is an aberration. The human body has a way of rejecting what should not be there, of rejecting something that is poisonous. And so the Lord Jesus has a way of rejecting what should not be there. So by baptism into one body, the newborn Christian is now put into a local assembly, which is a part of the global church. Now, let me explain this. You have the church universal and you have the local church. That's basically what you have of the church. You have the church in a locality and you have the global church. The global church is all Christians. The local church is not a building. The local church are the Christians in that locality gathering together under God in the name of Jesus Christ to receive from him his word that enables them to grow. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. So it is in the local assembly that you are raised, that you are nurtured, that you are matured, and made to understand what the new life of the Christian is all about. 
Now that is baptism into one body. So it is important. It is crucial that the Christian is baptized into one body. Now, these are things that happen without us even knowing that it has happened. For example, you are led to a local assembly to be a part of the local assembly and you stay there, you are fed, you are nurtured in that place and you grow. God does not want a situation where people are going all over the place. They don't have one place where they are fed, where they are nurtured, where they themselves are known and they can be followed up. They can be disciplined. God does not want a situation where we just have a bunch of people who are running around and doing nothing. Another baptism that the Bible mentions is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, John spoke a lot about this when he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, there is one amongst you who is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 5, the Lord Jesus Christ said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Acts chapter 11 verse 16, this was Peter's explanation of what had taken place in Cornelius' home because he was chided by the Jewish Christians why he went to the home of a Gentile and what was he doing there that they even heard that he baptized them. And Peter was explaining what had happened in verse 16 of Acts 11. He said, when he was preaching and they began to speak in tongues, a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. He said, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And everybody rested. So we are speaking here of an immersion, as it were, into the Holy Spirit. If you take an empty glass cup and you have a bathtub full of water, and you dip the empty glass cup into that bathtub of water, the glass cup becomes filled with water, and then it submerges into the bathtub. And as the bath is stirred, the glass cup may move in whatever direction based on the movement of the water. Now, here, the empty glass cup is the Christian who has been emptied of self and is now placed where the Holy Spirit fills him on the inside and then at some point in time he is submerged into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is now the one directing his course where he is being moved by the Spirit of God. The Lord Jesus Christ made mention of this in John chapter 3 when he spoke with Nicodemus and said the wind blows where it likes and you cannot tell where it's coming from and where it's going to. He says such are the people who are born of the Spirit. In other words you cannot predict them. They are moved not by self. They are moved by the Spirit of God. To be able to do the things that God wants them to do. That is the figure of Holy Spirit baptism. Now, let's assume the cup is empty and it has a lid. And you place the lid over that cup. And you place it on the water in the bathtub. Even if you try to force it down into the bathtub, what happens? It shoots up because it's not filled on the inside. Now, this is what happens. When we get born again, the Spirit of God comes into us. And he begins to remove all the agents of the flesh that's left in us, the flesh having been crucified as a result of our salvation, the passions that we've had, the affections that we've had, our affinities to the world, it begins to remove those things and fills us with teachings about what it is that God wants us to know. All the things that we learned in university from our peers, from our parents who are not born again, the things that have nothing to do with God, they are removed and we are filled with a newness of life being filled in the renewing of our mind by the word of God and the spirit of God. That we were able to know what the will and the counsel of God is. So as we are filled with the spirit of God on the inside, we get to a point where the Holy Spirit can now come upon us and submerge us 
for us to be submerged, we must be full on the inside. And then we are submerged and the Holy Spirit is able to do what it is that he wants to do. Stirring us and moving us to do whatever it is that he wants done. The Bible spoke about how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. God was with him. God surrounded him by his spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit and could only do what it was that the Spirit of God wanted him to do because he had an infilling of the Spirit of God. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is how Christian character is formed in us. It is the Spirit of God producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. Then when he comes upon us, he gives us the gifts of the Spirit. So there are two different things, the fruit and the gift. There are many people who operate the gift of the Spirit without the fruit. If the fruit is missing, the gift is more or less going to be bastardized. For example, Satan had the gifts of God. The Bible says that when he was made, he was made with musical instruments inbuilt into him. But when he was cast out, they were not removed. The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. But what did he do with the gifts? He turned them into wiles and abused and misused them. You find some people who are abusing and misusing the gift. Why? Because the fruit is not formed in them. So there must be a condition of fruit and gift. The gift without the fruit will be abused ultimately. And we have a lot of that taking place. So when we talk of Holy Spirit baptism, we are speaking of a baptism in which the infield believer experiences an outpouring or a submersion or immersion into the Holy Spirit and is now being controlled, being stirred by the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible tells us that if a man can control his tongue, then the rest of his body will be controlled. That that man is a man who is under control. So when the Holy Spirit takes control of a person, the manifestation that that control has taken place is tongues because he takes over the tongue and allows you to say only what it is that the Bible says, as the Spirit gave utterance in Acts chapter 2. The third baptism that we shall be discussing is the baptism of suffering in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 40. This was where James and John came to the Lord and asked him for a favor. So let me read from verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is Prepare. So James and John had come to the Lord and required that they sit one on the right hand and the other on the left. Like many of us would love jockeying for position. But then the Lord answered them and said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized? And they said, oh yes. He said, well, certainly you'll be baptized. Now, the Living Bible puts that portion. It says, or to be baptized with the baptism of suffering, I must be baptized with. The Amplified calls it the baptism of affliction. So there's a baptism of suffering that every believer will have to go through. The illustration I can give is when a person is bombarded with questions as in a court of law, we can say he's overwhelmed because one of the words that we use in describing baptism besides immersion and dipping and submersion is to overwhelm somebody, the typifying of 
the baptism of suffering. So this person is overwhelmed with questions, but he is calm in his disposition and is able to give answers to every question that the lawyers are passing across to him. Thus, he is able by his answers to prove to the court his innocence and is thus declared not guilty. This is the illustration of the baptism of suffering, where we are overwhelmed by trials, by tribulations, and by temptations, and we must prove the genuineness of our faith. This is the baptism of proving in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7, after telling us believers what it is that the Lord has prepared for us in eternity. He now comes in verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, in this news of what God has done for us, we greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we are going to face these challenges, these tests, these things that we call trials, tribulations, or tests, or temptations, we are going to face them. And they have a purpose. Their purpose is to prove us. The simplest illustration I can give here is what happened with Job. How Job had been blessed by God. And then Satan came to God and said, Oh, I've been tempting people and they've been falling left and center. And God said, Have you tried Job? And Satan said, Is it not because you have protected Job? You built a hedge around him. Remove the hedge and let us see whether he will not curse you. And God said, Okay, without curse, go ahead. I've removed the hedge. And Satan overwhelmed Job by destroying everything that Job had. You know those times when the challenges of life, they come at you as though it's wave upon wave, wave after wave after wave. It's not relenting. The idea is to get you to curse God. To say, I'm not doing this Christianity again. But the question is, will you stand firm and say, get away, Satan. It is God that I'm going to serve. And that is how the baptism of suffering works. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to four. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, the old King James says, diverse temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So he's saying our trials, they build in us patience. They enable us to even wait longer, to endure, to persevere. In Romans 5, 3 and 4, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. That's what I want to bring up. Perseverance. Patience. Perseverance means that you are under pressure, but you are enduring it. I think one translation puts it as endurance. And perseverance, character, and character hope. This is how the fruit of the Spirit is formed in us. Through the trials and tribulations, bringing out the genuineness of our faith, the true value of our faith. Satan will say to God, look at the people that you want to be casting me out when they have not even proven that they are worth that kind of a thing. And God will say, okay, go ahead and test them. And then he comes and tempts us. And the question is, will we survive? That is the purpose of the baptism of suffering, to bring us to the place of survival. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 13. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange. It happens to every Christian. Don't let anybody deceive you. Suffering is part of the gospel. It's part of the Christian. And you will see it when we get to verse 19. It's part of the Christian walk. It's something that we must all go through. He says, but rejoice. You can see the Bible expects us to rejoice when we face those trials. Why? Because it's an examination that we can pass and must pass and it has reward in eternity. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The same thing that Peter was mentioning earlier. He's saying that 
you will rejoice when he comes with exceeding joy that, wow, we overcame. In verse 14, it says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Suffering here is something that God allows. But don't suffer as a, you kill somebody, you say you're suffering. No, you're not suffering. You are serving due recompense for the activity that you're engaged in. You stole money and you said you're you are not being persecuted. You are being prosecuted for a crime. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I don't know the gospel that we are teaching these days that makes us to be ashamed that we are going through life's challenges. It's normal. He says, don't think it as if it's something strange. It's normal. You check yourself. You are walking right with God. You are living right with God and you are facing life's challenges. It's normal. I read verse 16 again. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end? of those who do not obey the gospel of God. We face trials. Now, if we cannot survive it, what, what would you think will happen to those people who are not even born again, who don't even know the gospel? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. That's the point I want to. You can suffer according to the will of God. That's the baptism of suffering. Who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him, in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit yourself to God. Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 30, it says, there is no temptation that has come to you that is not common to men. And God will with that temptation make a way of escape for you. He will make a way for you to get out of it. He will give you the way by which you will overcome and then you will get out of that temptation. Finally, the baptism that we've been talking about since. Water or Christian baptism. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4, Romans chapter 6 verse 4, says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is a physical demonstration of a spiritual truth that has taken place. When we look further, you will see that this baptism actually speaks of baptism into the body, speaks of baptism of the Holy Spirit, and speaks of baptism of suffering. We'll look at that as we go on. So we will be discussing these baptisms in some detail in future broadcasts. But for now, there are a few things that we want to note about these baptisms. In baptisms generally, there is the baptized, there's the baptizer, and there's the medium of baptism. The baptized, the baptizer, and the medium of baptism. The baptized is always, always a person who is born again and who is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's been saved. The qualification for baptism took place at salvation when you got born again and the Spirit of God was introduced into your life and he began to do the work of sanctification within you. That qualified you for baptism. The baptizer and the medium of baptism are as follows. In the baptism into the body, the body of Christ is the medium. The baptizer into the body is the Holy Spirit, like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, that the Spirit of God puts us into the body. The body is the medium, and we are put into that body. As we explain further, you get to understand this more and more. But what is important is that we are baptized, we are immersed, we are placed, we are positioned into the body, which is the medium 
for baptism into the body. The second one, baptism into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the medium of baptism. And the baptizer is the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Bible says that he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Ghost. The baptism of suffering, the medium of baptism is the suffering. The affliction, the trials, the tribulation, the temptation that we shall face. The baptizer is the father. And finally, water baptism, which is the one that we know. And that's the one that is physical, that we see. The water is the medium. The preacher or the minister of the gospel is the baptizer. So when a person has preached the gospel, it is expected that within the shortest time possible, he will baptize those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that they have submitted themselves to Christ, then he baptizes them. Another thing we want to note about this baptism is that the baptism into the body is a baptism of placement or what I call a positional baptism. The baptized is placed in a local assembly. That local assembly is within the body of Christ globally. Let me explain it using the human body. We have within our bodies, let's say, the heart. The heart is a part of the body. The heart is like a local assembly within the context of the human body. The heart plays a major function. There are arteries in and out of the heart, pumping blood in and out. You could be part of the structure of the heart, either one of the arteries or whatever part of that part of the body we're talking about, maybe the heart. And because you are doing your work, the body is sound. But if for any reason you are doing something wrong, the body becomes weak. So we hear in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, when one part of the body suffers, all suffer. A simple illustration. If you have a little cut in your tiny finger, the whole of your body will suffer. That's when you will realize that that finger is to be protected. You won't want anybody to go near it. Because if anybody hits it, the pain will reverberate throughout your entire body. This is the significance of recognizing that you are baptized into the body. You are not to be like a free radical going from one church to the other. You stick where you are placed. It is important that you are where you are. God places you there for his own glory and for his own purpose. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a baptism of power. It brings enablement to you to serve God acceptably. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples, He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, tarry until you are endued with that power because without that power you cannot do it. How do you witness Something that you didn't see. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's going to be as though you were there when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. You will bear witness with conviction because the Spirit of God has overwhelmed you. You are like that glass in that water and you are able to speak the word of God and bring conviction to the hearts of men by the Spirit of God. You cannot do that work without the Holy Spirit coming upon you. The baptism of suffering is a baptism of proving, of purging, or of purifying. It's a baptism in which through the sufferings that we go through, we are removing the things that should not be there. And only the things that should be there remain. God said, I am going to shake the earth once more. And everything that should not be there will be shaken off. Only the things that should remain will stay. That is what the baptism of suffering seeks to do. It removes everything that should not be there. And only the ones that should be there will remain. It proves us. That we are indeed qualified to be empowered to cast out demons. And finally, the water baptism is a public declaration or a public confession of who we now are in Christ. It speaks of our being in the body. It speaks of our service to God. It speaks of our submission to the Father. It speaks of 
are being done with Satan and sin, the world system and its ways. And that we are now a part of the body of Christ, a part of the family of God. That we are now under new management, the authority of Christ. If you are a Christian, you will experience all these baptisms. Unless, of course, you depart this world just after salvation. That's why the Lord Jesus kept insisting in Mark chapter 16. said, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Why? Because baptism is an act of faith and it is an act of obedience. A disobedient person cannot get into the kingdom of God. A man who does not have faith cannot get into the kingdom of God. And so it is important, it's crucial that we recognize these four baptisms as Christians. We must know them and by the grace of God, we will experience every one of them. The water baptism is the one that you go voluntarily and say, I want to be baptized. It speaks of the fact that you have been baptized into the body. It speaks either of something that has happened or something that will happen. That's why it's an act of faith. It speaks of you're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are people who never spoke in tongues, who were never baptized in the Holy Spirit, but at their water baptism, they began to speak in tongues. It just happened and they began to speak in tongues. Sometimes it is after they have been baptized in water that they will speak in tongues. So it's an act of faith as well as an act of obedience. And then the baptism also speaks of the fact that we are under the authority of the Father. So the Father can bring the challenges of life our way to mature us, to develop us. Part of training is discipline. Part of discipline is to go through the grind. As we go through those things, we are empowered to live as the Lord wants us to live. Beloved, there's nothing strange in what we have just said. If you are a Christian, you either have experienced or you will experience every single one of these baptisms. If you were born again years ago, by now, you should know that you have been put in a body, a local body, where you have been raised and trained. Sometimes after you have been raised and trained, like an adult who grows up in the home, he now goes somewhere else to work. So you can be moved from where you were to another place to do the work of God. Denominationalism is not a part of the gospel. Men created denominations. What God put in place was the local assembly and the global church. That's it. And he is going to speak to us. If you read the book of Acts, you will discover that the Holy Spirit was the one directing people to where they should go. Philip, for example, after Stephen had died, went to Samaria to preach. A church was blossoming there. The apostles had come and laid hands on people. They were speaking in tongues. Things were happening in that church. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit calls him and says to him, I want you to go to the desert road. I have something for you there. He left that massive church and went to a desert to meet with a eunuch who was coming from Jerusalem and on his way back to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit told him, run and catch up with that carriage and join yourself to him. So he ran after him and heard the man reading the book of Isaiah. So he asked the man, he said, do you know what you are reading? He said, well, how do I know when there's nobody to teach me? This Isaiah, is he speaking of himself or is he speaking of someone? That was an opener. And Philip now told him, that's someone... Isaiah is speaking about this Jesus Christ and he began to preach to him about Lord Jesus Christ. And as they were going on, they got to a body of water and he said, is there anything that forbids me from being baptized now in water? He said, well, yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do believe. It's okay, fine. He put him in the water. As they were coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit whisked Philip away and he was found in Azotus. So the Holy Spirit is the one directing these things. He's the one in charge. But you will experience it at some point in time. So don't be frustrated, don't get worried or anything. As we go through the teachings, you will see that you have experienced these baptisms. If you're able to speak in tongues, by now you have gone through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are some people who are not speaking in tongues, but by the grace of God, as you prepare your heart, you will receive this gift. It's a gift that comes from God. 
and it's for all his children. By faith, they will come. And if you're talking of the baptism of suffering, you will go through life's challenges. It's for every Christian. Don't let people fool you. If you are a Christian, you will face life's challenges. The fact that you are not suffering disqualifies you as a Christian. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you are not able to carry your cross and follow me, what are we following? We are following his lifestyle of suffering, of facing up to challenges. He says, if you are not ready to die, to sign that I'm ready to die. If you're not ready for that, you cannot be his disciple. So we must be ready for these things. Let's throw away this feel-good gospel that we're all hearing. The gospel, the full gospel, has suffering as part of it. Which was why, when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking in Matthew chapter 5, the teaching on the mount, one of the things he said was, Blessed are you when men persecute you for my sake, for righteousness' sake. Rejoice, be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. So let's stop crying, let's stop mumbling, let's stop grumbling. Let's rejoice when we face these challenges because it's part of the Christian experience. And by the grace of God, when we go through water baptism, either aforehand or as a result of that water baptism, we are speaking of these experiences. Baptism into the body, baptism by the Holy Spirit, baptism of suffering. That's what water baptism culminates into until we meet again by the grace of God. Continue to pray. Continue to trust God. Go through the few scriptures that we've looked at. Strengthen yourself in the understanding of the word of God. And then by that time, when we meet again, we'll discuss deeper on the doctrine of baptisms. God bless you.